Welcome to the Tabletop Summary, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Listeners, welcome, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is good to have you on the submarine once again. As always, my name is Josh, and with me is my partner in crime, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, who do we have on the submarine today? So we've got uh, Stephen Vesey, who is a game designer who I have learned and got to know through protospiels in and around the Midwest. So um, he's a really good game designer. He's got some really cool stuff coming out. I'm not sure how much we can talk about it, but he's got something <laughs> that's supposed to come out eventually in about a year, which in game designer things, that's about the average. So it takes about an, a year to two years to get a game out once it's signed. So that's kind of what's going on. But uh, happy to have him on because he's got a great story. Awesome. Steven, welcome to the submarine. Hi, Josh. Hi, Andrew. Hello. Uh, you guys uh, met at Protospiel. Steven, could you explain like maybe what a Protospiel is? Sure. Uh, Protospiel is a great place to do playtesting uh, with other designers uh, rather than general public. Um, there are a few general public passes available, but it's always uh, pre-dominated by designers. Uh, so you can take a game at any stage. You can have the rawest of raw alphas. Uh, you can be doing beta testing or, or final tweaking playtesting of stuff that you're hoping to publish soon. And, you know, it's just uh, a free-for-all. Uh, you bring your prototypes, everyone brings their prototypes, you trade off. It's, it's a lot of fun. It really is. And a lot of those games are actually much further along than you think they would be at something like this. Yes, there are some raw trying a mechanism, whatever, see if it works. But a lot of these games have pretty advanced levels of graphic design and some interesting art pieces and, you know, some some really kind of cool things that you can't see other places. Not only is it just prior to being published, but sometimes those games will never get published. And it doesn't mean they're not good games. It just means they're difficult to publish. I, I, I think that, you know, I haven't been to a proto-spiel, but I've been to... Uh... The biggest prototype convention I've been to is uh, Proto Atlanta, mm -hmm. which is uh, it's not a proto spiel. It used to be kind of a proto spiel thing, but now it's its own convention. And prototype conventions are some of my favorite conventions because you have a bunch of like minded designers who are, you know, they have the same goal as you. They want to get published. They want to see get their game out into the world. And it's good just to talk with them and brainstorm and you know just sit around and play games that you know aren't published yet and to make them better. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful experience. If you if you haven't um, attempted to go to an unpub or a proto spiel. I highly recommend listeners who want to give it a try. Some of these games are, you know, rough. Some of them don't play well, but some of them are actually absolutely fantastic. And you can say, you know, I played, you know, Wingspan before anyone else. Yeah. And Elizabeth Hargrave did a ton of stuff that before Wingspan got picked up by Stonemeyer. So it's a great opportunity. I highly recommend it. But I think that's enough uh, introductions and stuff. Let's just go ahead and head into our pre launch procedures. Yeah. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guest. With our pre-launch, I want to actually start with you, Stephen. What have you been playing recently? Um, the biggest game I've played recently is Bitoku. Uh, it was actually a uh, birthday present for my wife. Uh, not for me, for my wife. <laughs> And uh, it's a, a very uh, lovely box, uh, big, chunky Euro game. You have cards everywhere. You have resources and counters everywhere. 
uh, massive, massive board. Um, unless you're playing with two players, the board is modular, so you get different numbers of worker placements, spots. Bitoku has a little bit of everything. Uh, there's a small amount of deck building uh, for the cards you use to kind of launch your turn. There's worker placement, but maybe not a huge amount of worker placement spots. You can only ever have uh, three workers. There is this kind of pathing thing where you move these little guys along a spiritual path. And you get spirits on your Bitoku path where you move one of your figures along and you're guiding these spirits to some sort of resolution. Bitoku was a a, a really big release. It's one I wanted to love. Uh, Unfortunately, I only liked it. It does so many things um, and it doesn't concentrate on any of them. And I didn't feel a huge amount of connection between all of those things. So on my turn, I can place my worker and build a building, which gets me some points, or I can move a guy along the path, which gets me some points, um, or I can help one of these Batoku spirits, which gets me some points. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's not a great sense of engine building. Um, there's a little bit of deck building when you get these new spirits in your deck that are slightly better than the spirits you had before, um, but it's all very gradual. I, I, I didn't get a nice crescendo uh, build up from it. Uh, it's just, okay, at the end, you know, how many points did we have? Okay, you know, someone wins, and it's not entirely clear why. Potoku, I, I, it's great production, um, lots of interesting things going on. It didn't quite uh, mesh as well as I would have loved. Yeah, Potoku is one of those games I hear either it's the most amazing thing to come out when it comes to worker placement, mm-hmm. or basically what you said, like, you know, they like it, but there's too much stuff going on to actually shine at any one place, so... And, and I love things with, with lots of stuff. Uh, Terraforming Mars, Scythe, Wingspan, uh, Concordia. I, I, I love huge games, uh, and, and I was hoping to love this, and it didn't quite land as well. Andrew, I see you got a classic you want to talk about today, so go ahead and lay it down for us. What have you been playing recently? So I've been reconnecting with some classics, and uh, Azul is definitely one of that I've been playing a lot recently, mostly mm-hmm. because it's now available on Board Game Arena. So based on that, I can play it real quick and I've picked up a couple of games asynchronously so I can, you know, take a turn and then come back to it later and take a turn. I even challenged Josh. So uh, we got a game going on right now. Uh, I do. What I like about it is the simplicity of it and yet the push your luck aspect and the kind of brain calculations that take place in am I going to get enough to fill this row or am I going to get stuck not filling this row and hold off to the next round and that slows up the process in the game. Um, so there's a lot of cool things that go on with that and I really like it. It's a good game. Yeah, Azul's one of those games that have like a million, million versions of it. Uh, are you familiar with Azul, Steven, at all? Oh, yeah. Uh, we have Azul, we have Summer Pavilion, we have Stained Glass. I think we have three out of four of them. There might be five now. Uh, but we played a lot of Azul. I'm actually happy to hear it's on board game right now. I'm not sure how I missed that one. i got to go start that up. I, I played the original version um, at Tantrum Con last year, and I think I played it wrong because I was super confused on how everything worked. Ah, and it kind of turned me off from the game. And then I played on Board Game Arena with just some other you know, other friends, and I was like, "Wait, this isn't how you play the game." Talking to Board Game Arena, <laughs> so I assumed I did something wrong there. And I'm sure once we get through our game, and I see actually how it goes through. I'll enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I myself have been playing more Red Raven games. Red Raven being one of my publishers and Ryan, Ryan Lockett's brainchild. Uh, this time I have been dabbling again with Rome. 
Um, Rome is designed by Ryan Lockett. This is, it takes place in Arzia, his little world he's created. In Rome, players, it's pretty much an abstract strategy area control game where players are playing as different wanderers or adventurers going through the land and trying to cure people of an illness, like a mental illness, that makes the people just do nonsensical things. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek theme. Um, but the way this is represented by you have these little square, um, kind of flat squares, um, and you have a bunch of characters who have positional tracks that you can follow. So, like, this person can do three squares in this formation, this person can do three squares in this formation, this person can put this square here, but there's also a spot if you want to pay two gold that you have, you can place it here as well. So what you're trying to do is you have a, a grid of a two by three cards in front of you that have different coins, they have um, different end of game scoring, and they also have different characters that if you take majority on that card, you can take that and add their movement to your little tableau. And I really enjoy this game for many reasons. One, it's super simple and it's great at two players. Okay. Um, the, the comps is not that hard. You play a card and once you play that card's abilities, you flip it over, you have to wait to use all your cards first. Um, so you have to really think ahead of what you're wanting to do in order to get the majority on all these cards. Um, the artwork is fantastic, like in most Red Raven games. Of course. And I I like it because, you know, Red Raven is known for pretty extravagant productions. You know, you have Sleeping Gods, Near and Far, Above and Below, you know, Empires of the Void. There's so many things that Ryan Lucka does make these expansive games. And this is a super simple one. Okay. You know, there's not a lot of thought to it. Um, there's lots of interesting choices and strategy in each turn. And it's anyone's game, usually until the very end when you you know figure out the score. Um, very pleasant to play. I play that. I played this many times over the past year, and I just recently played it again. And I want to talk about it because I think it deserves a little more attention than it gives. Uh, but that was Rome by Red Ribbon Games, designed by Ryan Lockett. Definitely intrigued me with that one. I was not on my radar. It needs to be. All right, sounds good. Yeah, I love uh, Red Raven stuff. Sleeping Gods is one of my favorite. I am not familiar with that one though. Yeah, no, it, it definitely flew under the radar. It's kind of like, you know, 8-Minute Empire, those small mm -hmm. box games they sometimes do. Uh, but this is definitely a wonderful, wonderful little game that needs to be played more by more people. And that's why I'm talking about it. Love <laughs> awesome. It. Well, I think the instruments are ready. Let's go ahead and close the hatch and get ready for a deep dive. What do you say, fellows? Absolutely. Sure. Steven, I am very excited to hear your story today. So how about we give you the controls and you take us through your story? Absolutely. Um, so when I was growing up, I, I didn't really get into hobby gaming, but uh, I got some mass market ones, uh, Axis and Allies, which I hear is a lot of people's uh, first big game. Um, and then I would do really nerdy stuff at school, you know, chess, uh, boggle. And I sort of fell off of it uh, as I went to later part of high school and, and college. One day, uh, I was with my then-girlfriend, now wife, uh, at a mall. You may have heard of them. Uh, they're like Amazon, but you actually have to walk there. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a kiosk just set up in the middle of the mall, uh, you know, the hallways, that was selling games. They had a lot of kid stuff and puzzles, but they had one that I had kind of heard of, um, you know, early online uh, reading or, or just in passing. And it was uh, Settlers of Catan. I've <laughs> heard of that one. And I talked to my wife like, I have, I've heard of this. Do you want to try it out? And she said, oh, sure. You know, it was 40 bucks or, or whatever. 
was a was a reasonable price. Uh, they had a, a decent sale going on, so we we brought it home uh, and we talked uh, my now mother in law into playing with us and became one of her favorite games. I, I still like it a lot. I know it's a bit played out in the you know hipper hobby gaming uh, circles, and it's a bit played out for me because I've probably literally played it 500 times at this point. <laughs> But I still like it, and uh, so we played it a lot. And uh, you know, we have this whole metagame thing, you know, about what things uh, trades will people accept. Uh, and we have our own vocabulary, like hard points and soft points. In Catan, you build these cities and towns, uh, and they will produce resources for you. So those are our hard points. And then you also get points for like milestones, having the longest road and the largest army. They don't actually produce anything. Uh, so those are soft points. And we would argue, uh, Catan has a little take that thing, this robber. So if you roll a seven, you get to steal something from someone. And then there's, of course, a lot of lobbying and arguing about who you should be stealing from because they're doing better. You know, they, they, they have six points, but they're soft points. And I have five points, but they're hard points. So, you know, who's, who's really winning in this case, <laughs> arguing about who you get to steal from? So there was, you know, our 50,000th game of Catan we were playing, and I was not doing uh, very well on the board. I had a couple of settlements, and I was kind of um, crowded out uh, in Catan. You can kind of lock people in if you uh, build just inside them and, and not leave them much room to grow. Uh, so I didn't have much room to expand. Um, I had a couple settlements on the board. I had like uh, four points if you count it. But I was just investing heavily in these uh, development cards. Um, you pay some resources and you get these cards. And they're a real mixed bag. You know, um, This is where you can get some just random points or you get those army cards. And I was holding a bunch in my hand and just being very quiet and probably loudly complaining, which is something my wife says I do. You know, I'm <laughs> complaining the whole game and then, oh, oops, I won. Uh, so this was probably one of those times. <laughs> like, oh, I'm stuck. I can't go anywhere. Uh, I only have four points. You know, someone I think had uh, eight or nine. And then I have this handful of cards and then I start my turn and I just start laying down cards. So I put down my third uh, soldier, which gets me the largest army card is two points. And I put down a road building card which lets me uh, build out two roads, and I take the longest road, which is another two points. Uh, and then two more cards in my hand are just, you know, pure point cards or like libraries or statues or something like that. So, you know, not actually building anything on the board with any resources. I just lay down four cards and jump from four to ten, uh, which is game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, what? what? You were losing the whole game. You are complaining the whole game. Um, and I'm like, well, I, I've been holding these cards the entire game. You probably should have been paying attention to that. And, uh, you know, just the fallout from this is now I'm constantly picked on metagame-wise. Catan is a big trading game, and no one wants to trade with me. Always the trade of last resorts, and everyone's like, oh, you can win at any point. I'm like, I'm not holding a mitt full of cards in this game. I'm actually going to lose this one. And I uh, just never believed. Um, but yeah, uh, played lots of, lots of Catan with, with the families and the in-laws, and it's you know, part, of, part of our life. I love that story for so many reasons, but uh, so at this point, it's pretty much three brick for a stone for you. Is that what it's going to cost? Is it like everybody's just jumping <laughs> up the cost? They're they're reluctant to trade. They'll trade with anyone else first. Uh, my daughter is now old enough to play it, so uh, she's joined in, and uh, my uh, nephew occasionally when we're all together, we got the like five six player expansion um, just to do that. Uh, so they'll trade with anyone else first. They'll reluctantly trade with me at, at reasonable prices. Uh, okay. Uh, Catan, you know, there's, there's usually at least one resources that's very rare. And if I have that, I'm usually demanding, you know, 
you know, unequal trades for it. And everyone's very skeptical to give me an unequal trade, <laughs> uh, even if, you know, the market demands it. Right. Um, as far as the other expansions stuff like that, do you ever play like Seafarers or any of those other things? Or is it just pretty much the base game for you? Um, we had, we got them all, I think, well, at least some of the major ones. Uh, we had Seafarers, we had Cities and Knights, we played those a lot. Obviously, we didn't see the in-laws well um, a lot during the pandemic. We're kind of picking it back up as, as things slowly uh, return to some semblance of normal. Uh, we haven't gotten too much into the expansions because we're trying to bring our daughter into it. She's just nine. Uh, so we're keeping it a little simpler for her. But uh, those expansions are still lying around. That's cool. I, I, I like Catan quite a bit. I, mm -hmm. I don't care what the hipsters say. I think it's still a really <laughs> good game. That said, the game version that I play the most often is Catan Dice, which I know a lot of people don't like because it's just a little roll and write, whatever not. So okay. It ends up in my wife's purse, and we take it on vacation. We, we'll play while we're sitting at the beach. We'll just pass the dice back and forth and roll them around for a bit, and it's it's very much Yahtzee with not without numbers, which is just more fun for me. So I I love what Catan does. I love the Catan universe. I'm very curious to see. Did you guys hear there's now a Legacy Catan coming out? I uh, have not heard this. I am a Legacy fanboy, so I need to go look this up now. Yeah, they announced this at Gen Con this year, and they were talking about it. And essentially what you are is you are early settlers, and you're moving across continents to get to North America, essentially. So you're building civilization as you're going. You're also hunting woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and... I don't want to go into too much detail because I didn't get the full breakdown. I got a quick rundown, but I'm very curious to see how that's going to go and how it's going to be received. And I'm curious to play myself. It's going to be kind of an interesting, cool way to play. Two things. Catan, Catan Dice is wonderful. I agree with you, Andrew. I, I play Catan Dice, um, I think, about sometime last year, and it was absolutely enjoyable. You know, it's it, it's tiny. Like you said, you can take it anywhere. You just have fun rolling some dice and trying to build out your map. So definitely agree with you on that. And number two, Catan Legacy is going to make me buy Catan. I think <laughs> I, 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 you know, you know, you know, hu on the hipsters who say Catan is, you know, they don't like Catan for this or that reason. Or when someone mentions they like Catan, they go, oh, 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 well, have you heard of this game? It's so much better. It's like, okay, well, no, no, that's not the point. Catan <laughs> has been around for a long time and it's still, and it has that same power because it's a great, simple game that encourages lots of table interaction. Yeah. And adding a legacy aspect to that to me just sounds fantastic. You know, if, if, if it's anything like pandemic legacy, um, which, you know, I hope it's not the same story, but if it's anything has an impact, I think it's <laughs> going to be a great experience. I I'm looking forward to that immensely, but you know, Katana has been around for a very long time. I'm not even sure when Klaus Tauriberg first released its initial version but it's gone through so many iterations, so many expansions. There's offshoots, just Game of Thrones, Catan, Star, mm -hmm. Starfarers of Catan. You know, I've seen so many different types of Catan out there. And something is that's concerning to me is that it does get kind of a poo-pooey, uh, you know, finger wag from some of people who are quote unquote, you know, hobby gamers. Like it's beyond Monopoly. It's like the second game that gets the most like garbage from what I see. And, you know, is is this like a thing is this, is this like an elitist thing like elite gamers don't like it because it is so mainstream is there actual critiques of the game that make it worth this what, what are your guys' thoughts and i think it just boils down to there's a 
fair element of randomness uh, in the base game. Uh, more expansions you add, I think that goes away a little bit. But just because it's so old, I guess, um, there's certainly, you know, fancier things out there and, and hipper things out there and, and probably better things out there. Uh, but it's it's very solid. You know, and just about anyone can play it. And I I don't think it gets quite as much hate. Certainly not Monopoly levels, levels of hate. Um, yeah. You know, I I would rather play other things just because I have played it fifty thousand times. Uh, nothing about the game itself. I think that really it just boils down to sheer popularity. I mean, I feel like if anything is uber popular, there are people out there who detract away from it based on it being popular. So I think that's where it stands. But I think as a gateway game, it brought a lot of people in and continues to bring people in. And so therefore, I embrace it. If I can get that game to a table with people who have never played a board game before, I will happily play that game with people and help them discover all the other things that come after. So I I agree with all those points there. I think they're all fantastic points. But why do we think it has so much staying power and it's such a colossal? I mean, obviously, because of its popularity, it's a colossal hobby. But beyond that, it's popularity. Why do you think it has such staying power? We see games come and go all the time. Really good games. You know, you could probably look back, you know, 20, 20 or 30 years and see games that, you know, are classics. You know, like look at games like Puerto Rico. I mean, that game has been popular amongst hobbyists, but it's not a very difficult game by, you know, today's standards. But it doesn't have the same staying power as Catan has. And it's, they're getting a reprint of it right now, which is very exciting. But, you know, games like, you know, Puerto Rico or... Even if you look at games like, you know, what is it, uh, Carcassonne, which I love Carcassonne, mm-hmm. but it's not, and it's been almost around just as long as Catan, but not nearly as much force in the hobby. It's still a very popular game, but, you know, you, you say Carcassonne to someone on the street, they probably, they're more than likely haven't heard of it, but you say Catan, they, you know, it's a good chance they've heard of this for one reason or another. So what gives Catan this driving force, this staying power? So it's very replayable, you know, modular board, you know, way before modular boards were a thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because of the randomness element, you know, anyone can win. Um, You can play, it's simple enough that you can teach anyone to play it. Uh, Nostalgia, you know, because it's been around so long, uh, because it was people's first games, they remember it, they want to introduce it to their kids. Uh, Marketing, uh, they've made 50 different versions and branded versions. It's everywhere. It's just all of those things. For me, it's a couple of things. One, it has it puts players in position to say things like, I want to trade my wood for your sheep, which is now an ongoing joke in all sorts of different ways. But just those collectible catchphrases that exist because this game is out there. Also, I think this game uses hexagons, which is a universally accepted fun shape that, you know, the squares of Carcassonne are just not as good as the hexagons of Carcassonne or of uh, Catan. Um, also, I think it allows players to have moments of Eureka. Like, you you get to play where you're collecting a bunch of things and you have to put them down and build something, right? Like, that's building something that then makes your position in the game stronger. It's just this tiny little engine building aspect that's there, but it does really help players to feel like they're doing something in the game. And at the end, you can look at the board and you can see that the little civilization has been built. You can see the little roads between the places. And I think all those things contribute to the fundamentals of what makes a game fun. Yeah, I absolutely agree with both of you. This is a game that I think is not going away anytime soon. You know, 
often in the game shop people come in and they're looking for you know this game where you're rolling dice and taking like sheep and what oh you make a town over here it has this giant display <laughs> coming over here you know katana is still selling to this day and it yep. deservedly does so and i'm glad it is i think it's a good design i think it's a good production and i think what it does about bringing people to hobby introducing you know you know set collection negotiation uh, modular boards like steven was saying it does so much good for the hobby that i'm super happy it's still around are there any other games that you think are headed towards maybe not the popularity or you know the, the colossal roof that Katana's built for itself. Are there any games like maybe modernly released in the past couple of years that I think are heading towards that direction? Wingspan. <laughs> it may already be there. What makes you say Wingspan? Well, I think they just hit a million sold. Uh, and it's just not that old a game. Uh, for that weight to have sold that many, that's just baffling. Um, you'll see it in places that you wouldn't normally see, you know, big heavy games. Um, it's the the theme is just so uh, wide appeal uh, to people that wouldn't have otherwise uh, bought that game. It's going to bring it has brought many 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 people into the hobby, so they'll have that nostalgia factor and want to show it to their friends and family and kids um, to give it that kind of staying power. He said it the same way I would have. I, I think Wingspan absolutely is my pick as well, um, and I'm happy to help champion it because I love that game just as much as anybody else would. So what com- what comparisons can you guys draw together from? I'll I'll share some of mine. What comparison? Because I was thinking Wingspan too, so I'm glad we're all on the same page. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll answer my question a little bit, then I'll ask you what comparisons can we draw between Catan? You know the experiences that Steven's family have. You know now there's this meta game in their family dynamic about you know don't trade, don't make Steven win, even though he's not win- winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we all three of us see Wingspan going towards that. What are some of the similarities you can see, you know, between Wingspan and Catan that's pushing it, pushing Wingspan towards that direction? And I'll answer first. Um, the biggest thing I think is production value. I'm a big um, advocate for production. Um, you look at Catan, it may not be anything special today, but back then and still today, people who aren't familiar with the hobby, it is something you never seen before. It's not squares, you know, like you see in chess or checkers. Um, or, you know, Carcassonne, I'll admit. <laughs> it's, it's not squares. It's hexagons. It's a shape that's fun, like Andrew was saying. You have this island you're on. You see this little pawn that's go- moving around the board, and you get to steal things from other players, you know? You don't... It, I mean, you, you look at this board, even today, Katana is still kind of an eye-catcher mm-hmm. in lots of ways, because you see this island made out of hexes with a bunch of resources on it. Um, I think production is a big thing that's going to Ryan. Wingspan is a absolutely gorgeous production for you know even just the base version of it and i think the other thing is engine building i think engine building is a very important aspect of introducing people to modern games uh wingspan is a straight up engine builder and in katan you're building an engine as well for your resources uh i just see think that engine building drives people to feel the process of creation while they play and the end they get that little dopamine hit like oh this is so great. I, I, this is what I did. Look what I did. I'm so proud of myself, even though I lost. Mm-hmm. Um, those are just some of my thoughts. Uh, uh, Stephen, what are some of your thoughts? Maybe what, what's going to push Wingspan? What are some similarities? Uh, similarities to Catan. I, I don't know if that I can add a lot more. Um, they're very different things. Um, 
for a game of its weight, Wingspan is approachable, but it's not nearly as approachable as Catan. I, I think it's succeeding for, for mostly different reasons. It's the appeal of the theme. Um, it was the, the marketing push. Uh, it was the glass ceiling. Not, I mean, obviously, it's not the first uh, female line, but it was the biggest one to bring that in. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's been marketed the same way. They're certainly not, you know, licensed versions. Maybe there will be Pokemon wingspan. (laughs) Sure. You could do that. You could totally do that. I actually know a person who created their own version of that. They really did do Pokemon wingspan. So enough, they made their own version of the game. It's not for retail, not sharing the files. It's purely for themselves, but I've seen it and it's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I need a licensed Pokemon Wingspan instead of eggs. It's little Pokeballs. I need that in my life. Mm-hmm. Honestly, <laughs> Mr. Stegmeyer should do that. That would sell millions. <laughs> uh, well, I think we are pretty deep down in here with our uh, conversation. I see trenches. There's some colossal squid and some weird looking see-through fish. Let's go ahead and uh, get on our radar and see what's in our future. Okay, so let's see what's on our radar. Andrew, I want to. This is a pretty fitting game I think you've presented to us. So go ahead and uh, share with our listeners what you have put on your radar. I think it's very interesting that you mentioned squid and see through fish because my game is Aquatica. Um, this is from Arcane Wonders. It's a game that I wasn't even on my radar at all until uh, last year at Gen Con. Um, and I saw it demoed and really got excited about what this could be. It's got this really cool mechanism of having cards and playing them in almost a location-based. But then when you use the card, it slides down or up and then creates other things that become available. It's a really interesting thing. And I don't feel like I can talk about it because I haven't quite learned it yet. But it's on my uh, shelf ready to go at some point in the future. And I'm looking forward to playing that one. I have seen this game a couple of times. I have wanted to play it, but you know, with the millions of games that are out there, it's always kind of looted my looted my grasp. So I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it when you do play it. Uh, Steven, yes, what it's on your radar? So uh, February of 2020, uh, my friendly local game store had a yard sale. People would bring in their games that they didn't want anymore. Uh, and at that yard sale, I purchased a shrink wrapped version of Seafall. I'm like, I, as I said before, I'm a legacy fanboy. I'm going to trick some people into playing this with me. Uh, <laughs> and then March happened. So it is still sitting on my shelf. I, I have pulled off the shrink wrap and, and looked at the rules, but I have not like punched it out uh, and such. And, you know, some game nights are starting to happen again. So I'm starting to think I'm going to trick some people to play this with me. <laughs> It's, it's one that I've wanted to play ever since it was announced, and I know uh, receptions were, were decidedly mixed on it, um, but uh, I love Rob Davio, I love legacy stuff, and, and I really want to play this game. We had a uh, guest come on, um, Patrick Hepner from Level Up Board Game Podcast. He actually talked about this game as his dive, Yeah, um, and he said it's still one of the most memorable experiences he's ever had just because of the crazy things that were happening with his group dynamic and what happened in the game. Yeah. But don't uh, the episode until you've played, go ahead and play it first. Okay. <laughs> Josh, what have you got on your radar this week? Well, for me and myself, I recently came upon a copy of empires of the North. So Imperial settlers, empires of the North, 
designed by Ignacy Chevchek from, I think, Portal Games? Yep. Uh, pro- probably Portal, because it's Ignacy. I'm excited to play this for a couple reasons. Mostly because I've never tried an Ignacy Chevchek design, and I've wanted to for a while. Ooh. Secondly, I am really intrigued with the theme about, you know, civilization games I don't get to play too often. And I like the cute, you know, kind of chibi, I guess not really chibi, but whatever, the kind of cute aesthetic the game has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also really excited because if it's a game that I like, I can get lots of expansions for it. Yes. I've heard the board game geek tends to say this plays good at two players. I That's one of the very few board game things I actually tend to trust. Um, because it gives a good idea of what the player count will do good at, depending on which game you're talking about. And I often just play it too. So I'm really excited to sit down. It's not it's supposed to be not too complicated, but lots of good meaty decisions in there. I want to play this game. I'm hoping I can get expansions for it if I like it enough. I got a good price used. So I'm excited to sit down and just, you know, hack my way into it and see what this game has to offer. That is Imperial Settlers Empires of the North. Oof, it is getting stuffy. It is getting late. Let's go ahead and get some oxygen and resurface. Sounds good. Steven, thank you so much for giving part of your day to us to go on a little adventure and share some stories about board games. And we got into a great conversation about Catan and possibly future Catans. If people <laughs> want to you know, know more about Steven, if they want to follow your work, how can they best do that? Uh, so I'm on Facebook, uh, Stephen Vesey, that's V as in Victor, E-S-C-I. Um, I'm pretty active in like the Protospiel Facebook group. Um, our Cleveland design group is called uh, Ultimate Team Up, U-T-U. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's my last name, Vesey, V-E-S-C-I, and my first initial S. So trying to, to build the Twitter following. Uh, and keep an eye out, hopefully, next year. Uh, game is currently titled Spelling Beach. Uh, it's a 54-card word game uh, coming from Weird Giraffe. And um, hopefully it's still called that uh, in here. Uh, I, didn't know you were, I didn't know it was Weird Giraffe. That's awesome. I, I really yep. like Weird Giraffe. Very yes. impressive. Well, I'm excited for this game. I usually try to give Weird Draft a try because I appreciate the kind of their, you know, publishing philosophy of doing odd themes but concise good gameplay. I recently played a Get the Tulips and I really enjoyed it. So I'm excited to um, get Word Beach on my table then. Spelling Beach. (laughs) Spelling Beach. Dang it. (laughs) So I'm not a publisher yet. (laughs) Anyways, thank you so much, Stephen, for giving some of your time. Well, we look, we loved your story. We look forward to seeing more of your designs out in the future. But as always, listeners, I'm Josh. And I'm Andrew. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine.